Trying new things today. New location, new topic, new people. Joining us today is Gnarly Gnome as we talk about a topic close to us, metaphorically and physically. Cincinnati's beer history, a place so full of breweries, you can almost you almost have one a block. So strap in for a long one and have a drink. have a drink the show where you learn along with us about what you drink i'm Brittany lee walker i'm justin frazier i'm christopher walker and i'm casey price and today with us i'm the gnarly gnome <laughs> special so, guest gnarly gnome from cincy brewcast the voice of cincy craft i've finished not it off. cindy brewcast because that's what mine says does it really <laughs> yes it does oh, that's amazing man. what sooner or later <laughs> We should. We need like a little bell or something. So every time we catch a typo, we can. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a trope of the show, really. Hey hey hey, let's be nice. <laughs> to be fair, this was uh, written quite a while ago and has been sitting dormant. <laughs> <laughs> the show has been in planning for a really long time. It right? has. Yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah, let's just uh, start off with the announcements wow. and get that over with. Let's get through this. Um, so our next episode is going to be Saturday, February 3rd, live at 9 p.m. Eastern time, covering Scotch. That's going to be fun. Scotchy, scotch, scotch. Uh, you should, do you have the sounder, I believe? Uh, you know what? I don't think it? I do on this one. Uh, I need to get right. it still. All right, moving on then. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then uh, we have to remind everyone, of course, that... Um, if you want to support the show now, we have a Patreon. So patreon.com slash have a drink show. And you can pledge a dollar a month, five dollars, you know, more than that if you want to. That's fine. <laughs> and um, that, that's going to help us grow the show and be able to pay for hosting costs, among other things. So. And again, yeah, you guys have already put us to the point to where we've hit our first goal. And yeah, the, the news show, two weekly weeks, news show. Two weeks, we'll start the weekly news show. Yeah. And that's going to be beer, wine, and spirits. So All liquids. the drinks. Yeah. Oh. It's going to be liquid news. And I, I forgot to put it in here, but um, we did kind of, we checked with our, our patrons in the Discord community, and uh, I think we're going to go ahead and go with the, uh, the change in plans of format a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we yeah. are dropping the regular tasting episodes. Yeah. The video tasting, yep. Yes. The video tasting, right, with the packs and stuff. Yep. It, it got a little uh, a little costly, and we, we seem to find that our um, our numbers are really in the audio. So we're going to try to incorporate the tastings a little bit into the regular audio episodes. They're, and not, see gone, how that goes. they're not gone forever. They're just... Right. Yeah. And then we're hoping to get a, another Patreon goal at some point of having the full-on tasting episode have those come back but in its place we will be moving to doing this audio show weekly yeah so, so. check your your podcast feed <laughs> delivery device of choice <laughs> um you'll you'll be seeing a show probably at least two shows a week now because if we yes. do the new show weekly on the same feed and this show weekly you'll actually yep. be quadrupling the number of times <laughs> well yeah I yeah, need the to math just like editing days. The math just hit Brittany. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh right. She just shut down. Oh no, I have to spend all that time editing now. I did this. <laughs> so not not to jump in, but you guys should probably mention why everybody can probably hear Alanis Morissette in the background too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, just um, the next part. Sorry, we, we were just trying to get, get the announcements, get the yeah. housekeeping done first. Everybody <laughs> who doesn't pay attention to Twitter and they're like, why is this the loudest show that they've ever done before? Well, I don't know about that. But. So we yeah, are sorry. We are recording at Wooden Cast Brewing Company in a beautiful, dreary Newport, <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah, look outside. It's, it's exceptionally not, not, dreary. Yeah. Um, not quite beautiful out today, but I love this tap room, I have to say. Uh, yes. I want my house to look like this. It's <laughs> a Ron Swanson dream. I mean, it really feels like you just came down in 
into a cellar. Well, and I love how like when you walk in, it's it's wide, it's not deep, so it doesn't mm-hmm. feel big. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a massive tap room. Like, oh yeah, some space yeah. in here. So, and and yeah, there's like just whoever did the woodwork in here, like good job. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just like this craftsman, like super nice wood tables everywhere. Um, but, yeah, a beer on yeah. tap as well. Some oh, great. Yeah. Oh the, yeah. Best yeah. part yeah. of waking well, up this morning is beer in my cup. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all got something different, too. Yeah. What, what did, did you end up getting, Casey? I don't think... So well, I uh, went with a... Uh, so most of the things that well, they had up there... Well, what we're drinking. Uh, well, we'll go ahead and do it. at the top of the show. We'll talk yeah. and show it. So. Oh, okay. we're Because it's probably going to change throughout the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Drink with me, friend. So I picked up the new porter, uh, pork, uh, the, they... Doesn't in, that's a pun on something. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> um, in the, uh... In the untapped system, I think it, it classifies it as an American-style porter, but I think it's more old-world-style, which I kind of like. They've got a lot of those old-world-style beers that aren't mm-hmm. aren't huge knock-your-socks-off with, with all the malt and, and, and more balanced. And My I socks like are that. secure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have garters. Um. I can, I, we can definitely come here after... Uh, a, Long night last night, and, oh. and enjoy. <laughs> yeah, a few it probably would have been better. Moderately uh, alcohol, uh, moderate the, alcohol beers here. Real quick, can we can we discuss <laughs> what happened last night? I told you I was never going to run for office. So uh, <laughs> when Casey's suddenly down in front at the Jonathan Colton concert, with he comes back from the bar with two gigantic Pabst Blue Ribbons, two twenty fours of PBR. They were two for ten. I was expecting two like regular PBRs and <laughs> and a hop slam. And a hop slam. <laughs> Casey because. got a Bell's hop slam yeah. again. Put that. If that gives you an idea of possibly how far gone. Casey was already yeah. quite drunk by the time we got to the concert. We started early and often. Yeah. Um, There's no shame in every time, every once in a while, cracking into a PBR. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes you need water to hydrate. As you long know? as you drink it out of the can. <laughs> That's why I can survive yeah. today. Yeah. All right, Justin? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, I grabbed their uh, Yorkshire Ale. Uh, a English Bitter Nitro. Mm. And uh, that that was kind of what I was wanting this morning. I needed something smooth and creamy to, to wake up. Four, it's like 4.5%, so it doesn't yeah, I'm not, catch you off guard. It's, I yeah, mean, I'm just like, okay, just kind of ease in. Wait till wait till later for things to get. <laughs> oh my goodness! Speaking of easing in, I can see what Chris is drinking. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I was. I thought I'd just dip my toe in a little. So we're going with uh, the red rum, rum barrel aged ruby red. It's an Irish red aged in rum barrels. So his philosophy is go big or go home. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I am loving this. All the sweet rum characters come out, and the red ale doesn't really hide it at all. It's just like, nope, you want some rum? There it is. I haven't tried it yet. I So we're probably going to record somewhat of two shows all at the same time here, <laughs> right, and we're, right. we'll do mine also. And mine will probably consist mostly of drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so um, that's probably when I'm going to dig into some of the bigger stuff. <laughs> so why don't you uh, tell a little bit about your show and uh, well, let our audience know. Well, Brittany's got one more drink. Oh, yeah, sorry. we're going to... <laughs> We're just jumping Skipping all all mobile. kinds of stuff today. We're, we're not used to mobile setups, um, <laughs> as in that we suck at them. Uh, so I am drinking the Citronati, which I just it's a good name. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I was like one. I, have well, to I, guess, I mean, I haven't looked at it on, on Untap to see if anybody has done that name at any other point. But I why <laughs> I like, has nobody why else thought really? of that? <laughs> Seriously, like that has to be at four other places. That's kind of like the against the grain with Citra ass down. You're right. like really <laughs> wonderful. That's, yeah. Um, this is uh, 8.6% ABV, so I'm not really... I thought I was starting out light. It's not true. Um, it's a... Because uh, it's an Imperial IPA. But it is... Uh, and 70 IBUs. Wow. It doesn't taste like it. Um, it's not super bitter, but it, it's very citrusy. Uh, it's very, very good. I really like it. So this is going to be up there of my favorites uh, for this place. Because I've had... We've had the Corruption before from Love here. Love the Corruption. Yeah. Mm. Corruption's quite good. It's a barrel-aged Scotch. Scotch style. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that one's that one's wonderful. 
first time I've had an IPA, IPA from them, though. Well, yeah, they don't make a lot of them. I don't, yeah. I don't know, and I don't want to speak for Randy, um, <laughs> but I don't think that he he loves the style as much as the mm-hmm. masses of the craft beer community do. I, right. I think it's almost begrudgingly that he puts them on because people come <laughs> in and ask for them. But it's like, I guess we have. Uh, here you go. <laughs> but clearly, he knows what he's doing when he's making them. So very much. I guess that's the important part. So what are you drinking down there? I'm also drinking the Yorkshire. It's oh. one of my favorite beers that mm-hmm. they make here. And again, I got to start easy. I've got a, a long day ahead. <laughs> Speaking of starting, uh, <laughs> getting the burps going. Yeah. So now, uh, now let's pick up well, that segment. Now. Anybody who's listened to the chaos that this show has already been with uh, the format switching and the <laughs> streaming not working, like, that's pretty much what Sensi Brewcast is. Like it's just it's always different because nothing works the way it's supposed to. Um, we bounce around Cincinnati. Um, we talk about what's going on in Cincinnati beer. And, maybe stretch out a little bit every once in a while but we try not to because there's a whole lot going on here and lots to talk about lots to drink so it's good it keeps that's, our that's pretty much it <laughs> helps keep our ears to the ground about what's going on around here because yeah. we can't always know absolutely everything like you can only be following so many things on facebook and twitter and it just gets insane especially with what 49 breweries 49 now? as of today congrats to swine city in mm. my neck of the woods up in Fairfield, we finally <laughs> have some things happening out there. So. <laughs> I don't think I have that on there either. Damn oh. Okay, I just got the soundboard app. <laughs> it's fine. All right, well, uh, I think we do have a topic. Fairly robust one. Yeah. I wish I hadn't put it. We're not that drunk. Seeking bastards. We're not that drunk. We're not that drunk. Give it time. <laughs> I wish I had gotten a, like, I, I was like, what can you do for a Cincinnati sound, though? I don't, like, just someone um, screaming who day or something. I don't know. <laughs> There's Please lots, know. but. We could have gotten a bunch of Reds things from when they're calling yeah, baseball yeah. games. We are also in Newport, so we could have just had police sirens. <laughs> 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 I, get, I get the shakes whenever I'm in Newport anymore. <laughs> That's, oh, a, that's yeah. a good deep cut back <laughs> to last year. Yeah. I had to talk to some people in line at uh, Urban Artifact uh, about that particular incident because someone was getting ready to try that very thing. I saw thing. somebody talking about it on uh, on one of the Facebook groups the other day, and I kind of chimed in as myself and kind of explained the difficulties with it without trying to make it clear who, that I am who I am. So. Yeah. And I was the guy. <laughs> I did tell them. Like just you know, get, get a bunch of drivers and don't end in Newport. <laughs> Maybe start there. Uh, yeah. All right. Speaking of starting, let's find out where all of this started. Oh, here we go. We need <laughs> way back in ancient need, Rome. Like, some kind of a harp sound. Of I know. Little time. Uh, no. Uh, Cincinnati was founded in 1788 when we talked about this. Matthias. Last night. Matthias. We're going with Matthias. I think. <laughs> all right. Uh, Matthias Denman, uh, Colonel Robert Patterson. Why is that name familiar? Book Arthur. Okay, sure. Whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, Israel Ludo uh, landed in a spot on the north bank of the Ohio River, opposite the mouth of the Licking River, and decided to settle there. The original surveyor, John Filson, named it Lonstville. Yeah, that rolls off the tongue. Losantiville. Losantiville. Oh, thank you. That's even better, really. Yeah, that's uh, slightly better than my version. <laughs> uh, in 1790, Arthur St. Clair, the governor of the Northwest, Northwest Territory... <laughs> Uh, changed the name to the settlement of Cincinnati uh, to honor the Society of Cincinnati that made up the Revolutionary War veterans of which he was a member. Well, sure. Ethnic Germans were among the early set- settlers coming migrating from Pennsylvania and the backcountry of Virginia and Tennessee. In July 1806, James Dover placed an advertisement in the leading, actually only, media outlet of the day, uh, the Liberty Hall and Cincinnati Mercury newspaper for a large volume of brewing ingredients. <laughs> 500 pounds of well-cured hops, 1,000 bushels of good barley, none of that bad stuff, uh, 1,000 gallons of well-strained honey uh, to be delivered to his Brew and Bake House in uh, Sycamore Street opposite Market House. Didn't realize they had so much cannabis back then. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll you'll hear a lot of. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to interrupt or anything. No, no, completely. Yeah, really screw what all this up. Yeah. But um, that you'll hear a lot of people talk about the first brewery in Cincinnati and Davis Embry. Everybody talks about Davis Embry because he was the first one that was on record as having an actual brewery, and there's a record of him making beer. 
This is the literally that little section in a newspaper is the only evidence they have of Dover. And I think he might have had another guy that uh, was with him. That that's the only evidence that they have of him doing anything. And it's not actually saying that he made. The <laughs> yeah, murder. it's just that he was looking for ingredients. Even but even with this, I think it was like a year or two before that there was uh, like a census or something in in town, and everybody listed their occupations. And there were two people listed as brewers. They don't have names associated with them, but there were two brewers in Cincinnati at that point that were making beer somehow. So. Even even Do- Dover could have been the first one because he could he's obviously probably one of the two, but he might not have even been. There might have been somebody else yeah. before that. That it was coming up with evidence towards any of that, and you can't like anybody before him. It's it's you can't really say who the first person in Cincinnati was. But yeah, I, but it's still I think Dover, it's amazing. Dover's my vote. When yeah, sixteen years after the founding of the city is when they're like, no, we got to get we got to start brewing. And then that's there were probably people making lots of beer before that too. It was it was probably pretty quick after people Yeah, I mean set that's up shop. a bunch of Germans immigrated to a place. <laughs> I don't mean to sound some sort of ethnocentric thing, but they made beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone did it in their in their house, if well, not on a large scale. You know, if if you move to a new city now, the first thing you do is you go and you stock your fridge, you know, you go and you fill it up with whatever beer you can get there. That didn't exist then. Like yeah. if you're a beer drinker, you moved somewhere, especially like Cincinnati, you you know, you coming down the river and you stop and you're like, All right, I need a beer. There's no beer because I can't just go to the store and get it. Yeah. You're, you're gonna make it yourself. So there's right. definitely something happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. We do have a th- breakdown of how much beer this would actually make. Uh, one bushel of barley is about 48 pounds, according to the University of Missouri Agricultural Department. Uh, so based on generic colonial ale recipes, one bushel would probably yield about 18 to 20 gallons of beer. Uh, an order that size would brew about 500 to 600 barrels uh, hmm. using the 1803 uh, English beer barrel standard of 36 gallons per barrel. Not bad. Mm. Enough for him and like maybe one other person. <laughs> At that time. If you get into these stats later, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Uh, and thus began the city's insatiable thirst. Uh, while Cincinnati itself has established itself as a head, or sorry, while Cincinnati had established itself as a porkopolis and the gateway to commerce in the West 1800s, Casey, <laughs> we're adults here. No, no, no. You, you said porkopolis, which instead of pork. Opolis, which sounds a lot more like pigs dive bombing with <laughs> <laughs> from the sky. I want that. <laughs> that's that's a that's a Pink Floyd album, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably. Um, pigs of War. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the where was that? Yeah, uh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, the gateway of uh, sorry. Porkopolis, the gateway of commerce to the West in the early 1800s. The whiskey trade had become popular and more profitable by uh, 1881. Ten years later, the export value of whiskey and beer together topped $39 million, almost twice as much as livestock. Yeah. So there was a lot of money to go around in this city at that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his, histor- uh, sorry, historians oh, say that... You did put it in here. Yeah. <laughs> Davis Embry, an Englishman, opened Cincinnati's first brewery near the riverfront in 1812, more than 200 years ago, and uh, that another 250 breweries opened and closed since. That number is probably different. Yeah. It has changed yeah. a little. Yeah, not as much as you would think. Like, no. Everybody, you know, yes, there's, there's almost 50 breweries in town now. There's only been a handful since the 90s that have closed. Mm-hmm. Like, the number isn't that much no. bigger than that. Mm. Uh, according to local historian Robert J. Wimberg, uh, the first German brewery in Cincinnati opened in 1829 at roughly the corner of Mi- McMicken. McMicken? Okay. McMicken Avenue and Elm Street. The site uh, eventually became the home of Jackson Brewery in the 1850s and operated nearly 70 years until Prohibition. Uh, the great closer of... <laughs> yeah. Uh, the wave of immigration from Germany started in the 1830s when perse- uh, persecution ramped up in in Deutschland and civil liberties were under attack, uh, spurred by Germans who brought their love of beer and some brewing know-how. About three dozen breweries were operating in the area as early as 1856. So again, that's getting moving quick, 50 years after any evidence of scaled brewing happening in the city. And no, we got three big ones already going. <laughs> 
it's like everybody just moved here and they were, hey, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I make beer. Oh, shit, I make beer too. <laughs> what about um, you? Well, I make beer. <laughs> Should, we work? <laughs> Should we work together? Does anybody know no. how to farm or anything? <laughs> no, man, I just make beers. <laughs> Where are we getting the barley for this? Crap. Some, some dude on the other side of the river will take care of this. We can, we'll give him beer. He'll give us crops. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. So uh, the Christian Moorline Elm Street Brewery grew from a side business at his blacksmith shop to the largest brewery in Ohio and the fifth largest in the country. Moorline's uh, was a rags-to-riches brewery story. It sounds weird when you're like, well, he's a blacksmith. I guess he's doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not like so much rags. I mean, they're probably rags for dealing with hot metal. But Well, <laughs> his story, and we could do a whole show just on Christian. We oh, talked yeah. about this last night. Um, he like literally came from Bavaria. I think when he got here, it was like 19 cents or something left in his pocket when he started his business to turn it into, I mean... Yeah, it's scattered all across in OTR right yeah. now. And there's how many breweries moved into the old buildings? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. So a native Bavarian, or a native of Bavaria, he walked 300 miles to board a ship to America. Uphill, both ways. <laughs> in, in the, the snow. snow. Yeah. Barefoot. <laughs> he arrived nearly penniless and had a limited understanding of English. His first job was digging ditches. Uh, besides making a better beer, Moorline was one of the first local brewers to take advantage of pasteurization and ship his beers to other markets. To keep his beer as fresh as possible, he shipped it in barrels and had the beer bottled where it was to be sold. He shipped it uh, to such faraway cities as Boston, New Orleans, Pensacola, and Omaha, and even to Cuba, Puerto Rico, Panama, and the Philippines. Okay, that got progressively more impressive. Yeah, like it just starts <laughs> growing, and you're like, wow. He's like, Pensacola. Okay, I'm pretty impressed. Omaha. All right. Cuba, <laughs> Puerto Rico. Okay, fine. I get it. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> yeah. In 1875, uh, Moorline brought the first ice machine in Cincinnati. Sin- in Cincinnati, uh, cutting ice and labor costs and allowing a faster fermentation. By 1888, every brewery in the city had followed suit. Uh, Moorline's production more than doubled in a decade from 100,000 barrels in 1880 to 225,000 barrels in 1890. By 1890, Christian Moorline and Windisch Mühlhauser had become industry giants, and some 20 local breweries were producing 1.1 million barrels, or nearly 36 million gallons. So to put that into perspective, there's uh, some older numbers, but as of December 31st, 2014, Boston Beer Company sold approximately 4.1 million barrels of its products. Good Lord. Uh, Incredibly, Cincinnatians drank most of that. (laughs) The German immigrants and their descendants, uh, beer was part of their diet, and beer was safer than the local water in those days. Still. <laughs> yeah. Especially here in Newport. In 1893, the average beer consumption was 40 gallons for every man, woman, and child. Two and a half times that of the national average. And Cincinnati drank mostly what all they brewed. Per day? It's, it's per year. I think. That, that's, that's a year. Okay. Because it looked like 40 gallons per day. You'd explode. <laughs> Come on. No, I, I want to see you put up. And so. <laughs> Saloons became centers of business, uh, politics, and community, for men only, that is. Uh, In 1889, the area was home to 1,841 saloons. (laughs) In those days, most beer was packaged in barrels and kegs and consumed in public places, not in homes. Four hilltop resorts uh, opened in Mount Auburn, Clifton Heights, Mount Adams, and Price Hill. In those resorts and outdoor beer gardens created or catered to families. Uh, the brewing industry with all of its associations, hop dealers, malt houses, barrel makers known as Coopers, grain dealers, and saloons employed between 30,000 and 40,000 workers in Cincinnati and northern Kentucky at the turn of the century. Uh, according to historian Sarah Stevens, breweries paid workers a buck fifty per day for 14 to 16 hour work days. Plus all the free beer they could drink. <laughs> I mean, you can make your profit. And, they lose your profit in that right there. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm reading this. Make a dollar fifty a day. That's terrible. All the beer you could. I'm like, oh, oh I would take that. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> deal. Also, dollar fifty went a, went a good ways back in 18. That's true. 89. Well, yeah. In 1879, a New York Times article said workers at one local brewery averaged an astonishing 35 glasses a day. <laughs> that may or may not have included the women and children who worked in non technical areas like the bottling facility and for less pay than men. That's when that started. Uh, uh, it's not when it started. <laughs> no. yeah, <I> <laughs> um, 
I will say, like, when I picture that, like, 35 glasses a day, I was like, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, you wanted some, too. <laughs> but then, I mean... Oh, hold on. It's kind there. of... When you put it in today's perspective, I mean, our ABVs are through the roof yeah, in you, comparison. You yeah. And I don't know what glasses meant to them either. Right. You know, I, I think What's a the lot ounceage? of times they had a smaller glass that that was the employee's glass. <laughs> it then. wasn't who a knows? pint, probably. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out, though, how easy it was to open up a saloon back in those times. We touched on it in our Prohibition episode a while oh, yeah. back. But, like, you just go up to someone, you know, I think I want to have a saloon. And some guy's like, all right, here's the building. Here's the thing. You sell my beer. Right. And we're set up. We'll, we'll build oh. you a bar. We'll, uh, yeah. Uh, th- I'm trying to remember the exact quote. It was something like, no person without, like, the $100 fee to apply for the license should be without a saloon is what someone said. And I was like, all right. It's <laughs> a good... It's kind of like the uh, philosophy of McDonald's now. I'm like, oh, okay. You want to start a franchise? We'll get this rolling. Mm. Somebody watched The Founder recently. <laughs> yeah, he did. I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Okay, so now getting into the sad times. So Dark days. Prohibition. Boom, boom. There was a temperance movement in the U.S. almost from the day the first brewery went into operation. In the beginning, advocates tried to convince people to drink in moderation. Over time, they preached uh. that drinking was wrong for religious reasons and it was bad for families. Later, they changed tactics and started to link alcohol to crime, prostitution, debauchery, domestic violence, political corruption, and the need for welfare programs. They also connected it to saloons, blaming them for moral and social decay. Because German-Americans ran the breweries, owned the saloons, and drank there, the implication was obvious. (laughs) I was going to say, they blamed them for the moral decay because they're immigrants. Uh, as the number of saloons exploded by 1890, there was one. Uh, there was one for every 41 adult males. Uh, it's basically, pe- <laughs> one person can run it, and 41 people can be in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, people started to listen. Uh, the Ohio legislature passed tough penalties for violating the Sunday laws. Ohio had passed a law in 1831 prohibiting Sunday liquor sales. But no one in Cincinnati paid attention to it. <laughs> well, uh, now the penalties were stiff fines, mandatory jail time, and closure unless the owner posted a $1,000 bond. The governor wrote the mayor and encouraged him to enforce the law. When enforcement stepped up in eight, August 1889, the Cincinnati Red Stockings were in a tough spot. They had been kicked out of the National League in 1880 for selling beer and playing on Sunday. And they were planning to seek readmission. So they stopped playing on Sunday for the rest of the 1889 <laughs> Rather than stop serving beer, oh, we'll just change the day we're playing. I mean, come yeah. on. It just Priorities. seems a simpler, simpler solution. <laughs> yeah. For anybody who's ever wondered why Great American Ballpark is part of the uh, Brewing Heritage Trail here in Cincinnati, it's because of things like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, resorts and beer gardens went out of business. Saloons that def- uh, defied the law operated at greater risk of being ticketed, and the cost of getting the beat beat cop <laughs> to look the other way went up. Couldn't just give him a beer and tell him, like, look, yeah, this didn't happen. <laughs> Apparently not. So, uh, while Carrie Nation and the Women's Christian Temperance Union saw saloons as the source of all evil, and uh, Nation set out to destroy them one by one with her axe, the Anti-Saloon League began to take on the alcohol industry in Washington, rising to become a powerful political machine that elected and defeated congressmen. So, real quick, can we just establish that Carrie Nation is a small, like, older woman. Like, she's not, like, you're not picturing some, like, Viking woman with an axe, like, chopping through things. It's a, it's, it's a smaller lady with a hatchet. Yeah. <laughs> can still, still do damage. Don't say, get me wrong. Maybe I'm, she really wields that, that weapon. She yeah. reminds me of Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the style of like physicality I'm, I'm wanting to picture here. Not just like you know, she's coming in there with a, like a two-handed great axe just chopping things down looking for orcs when she's you, done. You think yeah. she was giving them the California howdy as she... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in 1902, when Carrie Nation was busting up saloons with the swings of her axe during the Temperance Crusade, she arrived in Cincinnati, determined to leave her mark in splintered bar tops and broken windows. But Carrie glanced up and down Vine Street, started counting the 136 <laughs> saloons on that one street alone, and fled in retreat without taking one swing. She later confessed that she would have dropped from exhaustion in the first block. Yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. That's still actually accurate, it turns out, <laughs> for Vine Street. As the war neared, however, dry forces whipped up anti-German fervor in the country, making brewers, immigrants, and even beer drinkers the enemy. 
And you're under the Kaiser. <laughs> the government started rationing grain and coal, limiting brewery operations. In Ohio, the local option laws allowed communities to vote themselves dry. By 1909, Warren and Claremont counties were completely dry, and temperance forces had, temperance forces had a stronghold in rural communities throughout the state. In 1913, the Ohio legislature limited the number of saloons in a city, town, or township. That forced hundreds, hundreds of Cincinnati saloons to close. In 1918, the 18th Amendment prohibiting the manufacture, sale, and distribution of alcoholic beverages sailed through Congress with more than 80% support. It took less than a year to get ratifications from three-fourths of the states. The Volstead Act created exceptions for wine, hard cider, and beverages with less than 0.5% alcohol. States were given one year to comply. Prohibition helped add a name to greater Cincinnati legend and brewing history, that of George Remus, because he was one of America's richest bootleggers. Building a $25 million per year operation in the early 1900s, yeah. <laughs> based out of Cincinnati, and Carl Wiedemann. 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 Oh, Wiedemann. Yeah, yeah. That's one okay. of those stories I really wish I could have expanded upon in this, is what so Wiedemann you, was up to. You could really pick any one of these breweries or people and do yeah. an entire show just about you them. You could do I suites mean, of episodes yeah. about them. I mean, we may. <laughs> <laughs> we may get there. Uh, he was the heir to the Wiedemann Brewing fortune. He became the fall guy in one of the biggest federal brewery busts in a dry area, in a dry era. So, so you know, Remus, like if anybody who is from Cincinnati or anywhere in this region, you know, you, there's a lot that is about Remus around here because of how big he was. And especially with 50 West, a lot of their culture is built around Remus because of the space that they're in, which, they're, again... You could do a whole show based on <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, Remus was, he was said to be F. Scott Fitzgerald's model for the title character of the great Gatsby, Jay Gatsby, because of these massive parties that he threw and everything. Uh, massive he parties, was, questionable income. <laughs> well, he was, he was a successful criminal defense lawyer in Chicago before he started seeing <laughs> yeah. some of his clients starting to make all this money off of the criminal side of things, and he decided that he was going to get in on the bootlegging action. He moved to Cincinnati because of... All of the whiskey on one side, all of the beer on the other. It's right here in the middle. It's it's perfect. He uh, he made literally hundreds of millions of dollars by building his big distribution network in nine states. He had three thousand people on his payroll. He lived this massive lavish life uh, with his well. He remarried uh, his wife Imogene um, in Price Hill. He spent more than $100,000 to build this big, giant swimming pool for kids and <laughs> tennis courts, a stable, baseball diamond. Um, the, the state covered the area bordered by West 8th Street, Greenwich Avenue, St. Lawrence Avenue, and Rapid Run Road. Um, it was called, uh, they, they, they called it Death Valley <laughs> um, once, once Prohibition really kicked in because of all the armed guards, and mm. you didn't go there. Um, all of the actual distilling happened out of this one tiny little house, the, the distilling that he did up there. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a raid there one time by some people trying to steal his stash that he had. Oh. And there was a massive shootout, and, and they basically turned around eventually and said, you know what, this isn't worth <laughs> it. It's not worth the effort. It's, Going against a small militia. He, um, he, so he, when he set up his, his operation... He would set up these distilleries legally. He could distill alcohol and he could with sell a, it as, with a medical as, as medicine. Um, Here's a dude in Covington that got rich doing that too. He would set up other businesses of people who would come and steal his loot also. So he would be making legal money off of this and then people would come and steal parts of it and then go sell it and he would make money off of that. And he kind of just sat right in the middle of all of this and built this whole empire. He made friends with the high and mighty, some of whom protected his illegal operations. He was popular for throwing parties and giving gifts of gold, diamonds, and automobiles. Uh, I heard a story one time about this party that he had for like 50 or 60 people, this, this really lavish, crazy party. And at the end of the party, underneath of everybody's plate, the, the men had these little diamond-like uh, stick things for your suit. I don't know what the hell they're called. <laughs> um, yeah, like a little thing. And then the women all got a car. <laughs> Like, so he was the first Oprah. Like, you get a car, exactly. and you get a car. Um, he became known as the king of bootleggers because he really was the king of bootleggers. He used Wiedemann Brewery here in Newport, Kentucky to produce a lot of his beer. 
He owned 10 distilleries, and because he was a licensed pharmacist, he was able to buy liquor, <laughs> claiming to distribute it for medicinal purposes. I'm sure he did legally distribute some. some. <laughs> a, a small <laughs> portion, I'm sure. <laughs> After he finally got caught, Remus was sent to federal prison in 1924, and he served two years. While he was behind bars, his wife had a long affair with the federal agent who busted him. <laughs> oh. so it, it was, it's a, I think it's a little different than that. I don't think it was necessarily the agent that busted him. It was the... the the feds had people placed in prison with some of the people higher up in the in the bootlegging game, and this federal agent spent a lot of time talking to Remus and figured out that all of his fortune, his wife had it, and he you know, he was he was probably a little bitter about it in prison, and <laughs> um, so then the federal agent went and hooked up with her, and they liquidated almost everything that he had. I think she left him like a hundred bucks or something. Oh wow! So <laughs> when he got out. Remus chased down his wife in Eden Park and he shot her dead. <laughs> right? And I don't know if anybody has been to Eden Park. There's a big gazebo there, right? And he just pulled right up there. There's everybody out having their Sunday picnics and he just. <laughs> don't leave the person. Don't leave the person you rob money to go buy a gun and bullets for a federal agent. <laughs> um, at his trial, he claimed he was made insane by jealousy and rage. The jury bought it. And Remus spent six months in the state hospital up in Lima. Then he was set free. He lived in relative obscurity until he died in 1952 at the age of 79. Did yeah. not have as good an end chapter as uh, some Canadian bootleggers who, <laughs> right. went on to bu- oh, yeah. who went on to buy Seagram's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cincinnatians uh, had voted overwhelmingly against Prohibition. Not surprising, since drinkers were so passionate, the entire industry and workers' livelihoods were at stake. When Prohibition went into effect uh, on May 27, 1919 in Ohio and a month later in Kentucky, it nearly wiped out the local brewing industry. While many closed, several carried on in secret. Bribing enforcement agents and police was uh, easy and widespread. Drinking continued in large scale and was estimated 3,000 speakeasies replaced saloons operating in, uh, in the open in hotels and restaurants as well as secret locales selling beer that, out, uh, that outlawed breweries produced. Homebrewing also became popular through ready-to-brew kits, and newspapers contributed uh, to publishing how-to instructions. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is the uh, box of uh, grapes that have yeah. a detailed instruction of yeah. do not, not to do. Do yeah. not <laughs> leave this in a dark, cold place as you <laughs> let it ferment. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Danger, if you mix this, this, and this, something bad will be made. Don't do it. Don't do it. It will and not do- be a refreshing, delicious <laughs> beverage. Do not take this medicinal whiskey put it with any of this aromatic bitters and this orange and cherries. Together, you'll get some horrible concoction called an old-fashioned. You'll, you'll never be the same. Uh, prohibition was impossible to enforce, and, through, uh, and those Cincinnati police and enforcement agents made... 4,900 arrests in 1929. That was just a drop in the barrel. Uh, According to one publication, Cincinnati was the third wettest city in the U.S. behind New York and Chicago. Uh, There was so much clandestine brewing going on that two local malt companies, Red Top and Burger, kept up with business despite the brewery shutdown. (laughs) Both of those names that anybody, again, anywhere near Cincinnati will recognize as places that then picked up brewing right after Prohibition. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the brewery death toll included three of the pre-Prohibition giants, Christian Moorline, uh, Windisch Mühlhauser, and John Hauk. I think that's right. Hauk, yeah. So Moorline closed within a week and sold off portions of its massive complex. Some uh, tried to stay open, by producing near beer, which is half a percent alcohol or less, and soft drinks. Houck's demise in 1927 was marked by federal agents dumping 45,000 gallons of near beer into the sewers. Well, it's near beer. Okay, I feel less bad now. (laughs) It popped off the manhole covers and flooded the street. I love that. Uh, Of the city's 800 remaining saloons, 240 immediately closed their doors. Of the other 560, some sold ice cream or soft drinks. Many saloons operated, uh, operators turned to operating speakeasies. Prohibition devastated over the Rhine. Uh, not only did OTR lose the breweries, it lost all brewery-related businesses and jobs. Even as the city lost its tax revenue, uh, and as Prohibition, Prohibition extinguished the last breath of a community and a society in OTR, the neighborhood went into drift and decline, and that's really where you started. Right. What until you know the gentrification a few years ago, yeah. the 
legacy of OTR as kind of... It's still a little sketchy. Kind of a ghetto started then. Well, I think it's important to know. It wasn't that the breweries closed that is what killed off what Cincinnati was. It was that the breweries and all of these related industries. I mean, when you have that many places making beer, it's the people that are making barrels and the people that are, uh, you know, have the horses that are pulling it. Like, it's all these other related industries that then all of a sudden, what do we do? You know, and it just, you you either find something else or you you leave. Yeah, I'm going to say, it's... it's not the lack of alcohol that kills the city. It's the lack of jobs. Right. Yeah. And it's. There were other neat things I left out. Uh, I just want to mention real quick, if you have the time to look it up. There were actual battles that took place in the streets oh, between yeah. German immigrants and uh, quote unquote real Americans. Right. At this time. And it was like there were, I think, a dozen casualties in some of these conflicts between the citizens of OTR and the rest of Cincinnati. It's crazy. Well, here's the good news, though. The repeal of Prohibition. Cincinnati's vibrant brewery culture was wiped out by effort by the efforts leading up to and during Prohibition, but the city's comeback roots were seeded in the community's heritage. Ultimately, the nation as a whole saw that Prohibition didn't live up to its promises. It didn't reduce crime. If anything, it gave rise to organized crime, and it didn't significantly reduce drinking, nor did it restore the family unit if it had been lost in the first place. <laughs> On the other hand, Prohibition wrecked local economies, cost billions in revenues, wasted the taxpayer money uh, government spent to enforce it, and led to corruption. When the stock market crashed in 1929, the depression set in. Many people believed making brewing legal again would create jobs and give the economy a shot in the arm. But the brewery industry didn't pick up where it left off overnight. When the 18th Amendment was repealed in 1933, only six area breweries came back. Bruckman, Hudapol, Foss Schneider and Schaller in Cincinnati, Wiedemann in Newport, and Bavaria, Bavarian in Covington. Louis Hudepol, born Ludwig Hudepol II, had a business model that would raise a few eyebrows in modern state regulatory agencies. <laughs> yeah. He had a combination real estate office and liquor store on Main Street. The oh. real estate thing <laughs> must not have worked out because his business was listed solely as a wholesale liquor store a few years later, but he definitely had a bright future in the alcoholic beverage industry. Along with his partner, George Cott, Hudapol sold the, lo- the liquor store on Main, St- Main and bought a fledgling brewery on Buckeye Street, now East Clifton, in 1885. Born in Cincinnati by German immigrant parents, Hudapol became the first American-born member of Cincinnati's great pre-prohibition beer barons. Although Louis Hudapol died in 1902, his family-run brewery also bridged another generational gap. As we said, Hudipole Brewing Company was one of only four Cincinnati breweries to survive Prohibition. As the last to still be brewing near beer, the Bruckman Brewing Company was the only Cincinnati brewery poised to immediately return to production of real beer. Hudipole, Foss Schneider, and Schaller all resumed operations within a few months, and under their pre-Prohibition names... Within a year, these breweries were followed by a series of others that breathed new life into pre-Prohibition breweries. Wenzel Mühlhauser's uh, Lion Brewery became the Burger Brewery. The Gambrinus, sorry, Gambrinus Stock Facility reopened as the Vienna Brewing Company. George Weber's Jackson Brewery opened as the Jackson Brewery. The Mohawk Brewery became the Cliffside Brewery. In the West End, Red Top was born in part of the John Hawk Brewing Complex and shall Schoenling. 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 All right. Uh, was Little born. Kings. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just north of the burger facility. Wiedemann, after surviving Prohibition, managed to become the first local brewery to produce one million barrels a year. Not long after garnering the, this distinction, however, they closed due to an oversaturated market <laughs> in 1983. Cincinnati's big breweries have survived Cary Nation and Temperest. Also not not Molly Hatchet. <laughs> um, an anti-German backlash and prohibition. Uh, but they still could not survive an invasion from St. Louis and Milwaukee. Mm. By 1992, Hudipol-Schoenling uh, had little more than 9% of the Cincinnati beer market, while Anheuser-Busch had 43%. The numbers for Ohio, were, where Hudipol and Shaneling once had significant inroads, were even more lopsided. 
1991, AB or Anheuser-Busch sold, sold 3.7 million barrels in Ohio to less than 175,000 for Hugh DePaul Shaneling. By the time Hugh DePaul Shaneling went out of business, Anheuser-Busch was selling 150 times as much beer as Cincinnati's brewery. So there's some really fun things about all that when you hear those names. So it was, it was uh, Cook from Sam Adams, Boston Beer, who got uh, Shaneling, Hudipol Shaneling, back up and going because his yeah. father was a manager there. His father, he, he brewed there. I don't know what yeah. his title was, but I know he's way up. But yeah, he, he worked there. So when, when uh, Sam Adams started up, they were 100% contract brewing. They were brewing all over the country. And they just kept growing, and they kept growing, and they needed a spot that was going to be a place that could produce most of their beer, if not all of their beer. And they came back here to Cincinnati, and it was still Hudipol Shaneling at the time, and they were contract brewing their beer through Hudipol. Well, as Sam Adams kept growing, kept growing, Hudipol keeps shrinking, keeps shrinking, and they eventually had a spot in their contract where if, if Hudipol couldn't do it, then they had first right of refusal for the building, and he'd say, yep. Here it is, and that was the first Sam Adams Brewery was here in Cincinnati, still keeping it alive. So, oh yeah, the 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 Shaneling Brewery there on Central Parkway still kept making beer that whole time. wasn't always Cincinnati beer, but it kept going the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's still Sam Adams now. It's they make a metric shit ton there. I think, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Can I say shit on your show? I don't yes. know how that works. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so and that's also uh, Wiedemann's coming back now as well, didn't they? Just they've they, got a Wiedemann they have a, a site. Yeah. They are not here in Newport though. No. They are um, over on the other side of the river, up in uh, Saint Bernard. Yep, and they are getting really close. I'm thinking probably March or so they'll be doing it. And that's you know there's there. What's so fun about Cincinnati is, and I know that this is different or this is the same for a lot of cities in the United States. So I'm not going to claim we're the only ones, <laughs> but there's this really cool tie between that that pre-prohibition history and the, the right that immediate post-prohibition and craft beer now you know we still have christian morline albeit a different company but they are still <laughs> yeah. using the name they're still yeah. making the beer you know rheingeist makes beer in a historic christian in, morline building in the old bottling factory you know weedemann is coming back they you know they're bringing that name back you know you can still buy hudapole on shelves you can still get shaneling on shelves um braxton's brewing using the, the, the old bavarian recipe yeah. and it's not the technically the same recipe. Okay. It's probably an improvement from what I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, it, there were a lot of people that were looking at that old Bavarian building, trying to save it and trying to put a brewery in there. People have put breweries in there over the years. You know, there's just, there's a really cool tie between that past and the And the, I love the that present. Covington was able to see that, no, we have to preserve this building, even though someone else had bought it and was going to tear it down. It took a lot of uh, nudging. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some strong suggestions. Right. <laughs> But you know, there's if, if you go in, in OTR, there are still a lot of historic brewing buildings. They don't all have breweries in them, but um, there still is that that respect to that history. And yeah, the Heritage Trail guys are really doing a lot of good work down there. We've done some of the tours, yeah. and it's great. The buildings you go past all the time and have no idea. Oh yeah. So if, if if anybody lives anywhere close by and has ever wanted to come to Cincinnati, you know, Bachfest is, in my opinion, oh. the time to do it. They they. They double up or triple up the amount of tours they do in that time. You can go, you can take a tour through some of these old buildings, the old loggering tunnels, and um, and then drink a whole bunch of really great beer. Afterwards. <laughs> and there's goats, you know. <laughs> it's um, it's a fun time. So, you know, I don't. There, there's a little blurb here that I'm supposed to read about the, the rise of the phoenix, but I think that you know, it's <laughs> it, uh, it. Any brewery that you walk into in Cincinnati, I think tries to pay some kind of homage. If it's not just the Cincinnati's whole, it's to their neighborhood and, and whatever that history was there. You know, there's places, you know, Hamilton, Ohio, you know, it's, we're the first brewery here in, you know, I don't know, 200 years or whatever it is, you know, and, you know, just these other, we're the first brewery here in this neighborhood ever. And, like, it's just this spreading that that history of what Cincinnati was. Yeah, today it's, like we were discussing earlier, it's we're at 49. We're getting ready to cross over the 50-mark breweries in this area. And that's absolutely insane. What what made breweries pre-prohibition so special was the tie to their neighborhood and to their city. It's you know I'm sure Anheuser Busch does some really great things in St. Louis, but they don't really do shit here in Cincinnati. You know, yeah. Yes, they make a lot of beer and a lot of it gets drank here, and that's that's fine. But it's very different than a neighborhood brewery or a, a you know even a, a Rheingeist that serves you know this whole city very heavily. You know, like <laughs> it, they give back to it and. 
pre-prohibition. It was about the the community involvement. It was the you know, yes, you worked for a dollar fifty a day, but and you worked six days a week. But that seventh day of the week, you still went back to the brewery. You went to a beer garden that was owned by your employer with your whole family. You sat there all day. You drank beer. You ate food. You sang songs. You you, you were still part of that. That, that community fabric there at the brewery. And you're starting to see some of that now with craft beer. Well, probably always with craft beer. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, we're here. These are the people that are drinking our beer. We're getting back to them somehow. And, um, and it's fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So I think Anything? that's going to, that's going to wrap this one. Yeah. Didn't take nearly as long as I thought. No. Um, so, to exit and then go into. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, know. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're all staring at empty yeah. glasses, so we'll almost. Hold we'll on. close. Close. All right, we got to get no, refills. Tell everybody where they can get your show. Yes. I guess, is the, yeah, yeah. The key. yeah. The, I mean, Cincy Brew. I mean, you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you go somewhere and search for Cincy Brewcast and it's not there, shoot me an email. At, uh, well, you know, uh, the email's a little hard. It's cincygnome at gmail.com is the easiest way, but it's with an I, not a Y. Cincy Gnome. Ah. Um, but um, cincybrewcast.com, thenarlygnome.com. Uh, just Google it. You'll find it. <laughs> and if you're interested in uh, the local beer scenes around here, there's some great articles always about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gnome tends to break things before <laughs> before even the breweries are breaking them. <laughs> he just kind of guesses, and it happens. It's, it's never a guess. <laughs> no, I, I still... have spies everywhere. <laughs> I love... So uh, back at Big Sis... Brittany was sitting there with you and the guys from Braxton guessing everything that yeah. no one was allowed to say. Oh, wow. I really hope it's going to be dead blow a starter you're bringing back in cans. Oh, wow. It must be Sweetwater you're getting ready to do a collaboration with. Yeah, it's just I, a guess. I, <laughs> and watching the uncomfortableness if, start to... If anybody goes back to shows like when when I'm with a brewer and they're about to announce something and I'm poking them for things, if you listen to the things that I'm saying, I'm always telling you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to listen really closely. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, get into closing, I guess. Yep. Here. Yep. Casey. <laughs> oh, it is there. Yeah. Just have to scroll Wait. down this time. So you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please rate the show on iTunes to help spread the word. Also, if you go on that uh, Twitch, go in and give us a follow. Follows are free. And we, we are, are almost up to uh, where we're, we're partnered with them. Affiliate. No, affiliate. Affiliated. Okay, yeah. yeah. We're 11 away, I think, from affiliation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com, or you can use the feedback page on the website. Also, sandwich boards on the street corners. <laughs> I will. If we ever get a store, we're making a have a drink sandwich board. I, I just to. want. I just want to like like walk around one time and go. Question for have a drink show. Go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just walk up to them and answer it. It's like oh, uh, I don't speak for the group, but. <laughs> All right, guys, all joking and fun aside, we want to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. Uh, we had to lift around yesterday. Yes, <laughs> because responsible. Of in, because of impairment. And I had 10% off. <laughs> <laughs> You're responsible and cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Uh, all right, we want to remind everyone, of course, uh, Saturdays, 9 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash haveadrinkshow. You can find us live, our next episode, again, Saturday, February 3rd. Although, of course, today, if you are somehow catching this we're also going to try to do something too so um they will have seen yeah we'll reference it later (laughs) we'll 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 get on there later um but yes uh so twitch.tv and then um reminder just about the patreon again patreon.com slash have a drink show and go check out uh cincy brewcast yeah Yeah. Yeah. because basically uh this week's episode of cincy brewcast is just going to be an after show of this show (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can put these together and get our whole session here yeah basically all right, so once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. And I'm the Gnarly Gnome. We'll see you <laughs> next time. See you guys. Bye. Bye.
Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>